Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Believe and Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We're coming down to the end of the regular season. Hard to believe. Patriots 6-9 and nine after getting whitewashed by the Bills on Monday Night Football. 38-9. to nine. Another subpar, I think is the nicest way to say, game for the offense. Another subpar game for Cam Newton. They're going to end up the, end up the regular season with the Jets. I'm Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Be joined momentarily by our quarterback, CFL Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, and former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Aaron Wells is our producer, and as always, the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. BetOnline.ag. You got Week 17. You got games with all kinds of playoff implications. You're reeling a little bit from the holidays. Make some of that money back. Just do it responsibly. BetOnline.ag. The only place to get in your playoff bets. College basketball going on as well. NBA in full swing. NHL is starting in just two weeks. So, and soon enough, it's going to be time for futures baseball bets. I can't wait for that either. So, betonline.ag. That's how you get your gambling done. Do it responsibly. Aaron, to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, everybody, again, welcome into the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brady Farkas. Doug Flutie is with us. Doug, how are you? Doing all right. Got through Christmas. Everybody's good. Everything's fun. I got me a new Batman golf glove. I'm all set. You got a new Batman golf glove. I can. Rep- I am not wearing it now, so you won't <laughs> see it in the video portion to this, but maybe the next podcast. I did get a Pat Patriot throwback Patriot shirt, so now I can match you when we do the podcast. We can have our Patriots uniform. Uh, you got the hat on right now. So they, we, You have the, the throwback Pat Patriot shirt. We'll wear it together. We'll coordinate next time for our for our podcast uni. Will do. Sounds good. Uh, I'm glad you had yeah, a good you holiday. Do, you do know that that's not throwback for me. It's just what I have. <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's just Patriots uniforming to you. Um, I want to do something different today. The game is the game. The Patriots were eliminated. They were eliminated already. They lost 38-9. to nine. There's really not a lot for me to say about the game itself. So I just have a bunch of questions and things. I want to run through with Doug as we kind of do get towards our end of the season notes here. Um, But I will say, Doug, it was cool over the last week as the Patriots got ready to play the Bills to see you all over everything. I saw Flutie Flakes circulating on Twitter. I saw old Buffalo newspaper clips of you because you were the QB the last time the Bills swept the Patriots back in 1999, and they did it again this year. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. I got got a call – to do an interview about that scenario. The Bills were excited that they had a chance to sweep the Patriots this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, myself, Thurman Thomas, and Steve Christie all got calls. None of us, none of us could recall the game. We went wow. in overtime. I re- I completed my last 12 passes. Steve Christie kicks the game winner in mm-hmm. overtime. 
and Thurman Thomas had a 100-yard rushing game, and none of us remembered the game. And what that meant to me was it wasn't a big deal to us at that time. Right. It was before the Brady year. It was just, you know, before, I think it was Bill's first year, and that dominant year hadn't started yet. And and that's kind of what we took from it was it was um, kind of a matter of fact for us at that moment, but that the uh, that the Patriots weren't quite the Patriots yet. Now that was was that ninety nine? Because if that was ninety nine, that was Pete Carroll's last year. Was I think. it Pete's? That, it was Pete's last year then. Okay. Yeah, because as I recall, the Patriots were in those uh, royal blue uniforms with the giant logo on the shoulders, and that was Pete Carroll. Belichick came in two thousand with the newer uniforms that you would have played in. Okay, uh, with the flying Elvis? Yeah. Yes, let, okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because it kind of all relates to me for, for Cam Newton. But So you got to Buffalo in 1998, and Jim Kelly had retired after 1996. When you got to Buffalo, when you started playing, did you feel at all like you were replacing Jim Kelly or had that one-year buffer been enough to kind of make the fans not forget but have the pressure taken off? I think it was different. I didn't feel that at all. Um, I think it might have been a two-year window because Todd Collins took over as a starting quarterback, and they struggled yep. for those two years and did not make the playoffs. When when I started playing, I was actually the backup and took over week four. Um, you know, I'm just trying to survive and earn a position, and all of a sudden things started happening. We play well. We became a playoff team that year, and – it was more of a relief to the city that we were getting competitive again, right? They had the two down years already. So there was this little buffer zone of the two down years. So uh, we were, we were, it was like gravy, just the fact that we were competitive and starting to win. And uh, it was all upbeat and fun and moving forward at that point. So I guess the reason why I asked that is because I think in a normal year, Cam or whoever would have had a really hard time coming in trying to replace Tom Brady. Now, this year was different. Fans weren't in the buildings. Media wasn't quite as uh, around. So I think Cam was kind of insulated from a lot of that talk. But whoever the quarterback is next year, when it's a more normal NFL season, do you think that they will be compared to Brady? Or has Cam just taken all the pressure off whoever the quarterback is next? I Not so much. Bra yes, they will. I still think they'll be compared to Brady. But it'll be more compared to the Patriot teams, like, why aren't we a playoff team? Why aren't we making, you know, this is the, the, the standard. The standard is yeah. you make, you win the division is the standard. You go to the AFC playoff or championship game as a standard, and maybe we win the Super Bowl. So the bar has been set high as a team. But, yes, the comparisons will continue until somebody takes them to the playoffs. People get excited about that season and they get back into that mix of, of being you know, the top eight to ten teams in the league. How did you become such a cult hero in Buffalo? Obviously, the winning helps. I understand that. Was it just that simple, or was there something about you that resonated with Buffalo? I think it's, it's me being the undersized, especially back then, the undersized quarterback. Right? People had a tendency to root for me or pull for me. The fans always did. The critics hated me right? Yeah. because hmm. – you know, it just they, I didn't fit the mold, so they they had an open, easy opportunity to criticize. Fans always related to me, and the fact that I came off the bench with a struggling quarterback ahead of me, we were zero and three to start the season, and then I took over, and we were off and running, and and made my I think I won my first six, five or six starts, 
So it just all it just all exploded. The Flutie Flakes came out. The whole thing was a perfect storm, came together, and uh, Buffalo was relevant again. There was also an aspect of this, though, in Buffalo. Buffalo was considering moving the, the franchise. They were in yes. talks with Toronto and I don't know where else. Um, the state had kind of a hands-on. They wanted renovations at the stadium. When we started winning, when we became a relevant team again, there became this rallying cry. The state kicked in a bunch of money to renovate the stadium, and the Bills stayed in Buffalo. And uh, part of my year or that year or two, it's viewed that way. A lot of people believe that th that kind of helped save the Buffalo Bills and kept them in Buffalo. So I want to move to the Patriots. I want to move specifically to post-game comments made by Cam. And these are 50 seconds worth of comments. I just want to play the whole thing for you, Doug. Raw, emotional, vulnerable. Aaron, here was Cam after the game on Monday night after the 38-9 loss of the Bills. Here's Cam. Obviously, the contract is what it is. Uh, submitting myself to this team is something that I've been doing since day one. Uh, being accessible, um, and yeah, it's it's frustrating. It, it makes you mad. It makes you angry, knowing that to be a trusted teammate, you know, you first have to submit to authority and submit to what what the coaches are asking you to do. And I feel like I have done that. And it, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not in the the place to blame or the place to. I'm just more or less venting right now because yeah, I've sacrificed so much this year. And I mean, it it it, it's, it hurts, you know, when you when you have the, the outing that you have tonight, and just to go home, and then start it over for a whole nother week. So that was fifty one seconds. Cam raw emotional talking about sacrifice. Right before that clip started, he said he has not seen his kids in three months. Um, you have told us on multiple occasions, Doug, that being an NFL quarterback really isn't fun. Um, when you hear Cam say that and talk about sacrifice and not getting the results, what's, what comes to your mind? I feel for him. I understand it. I was in San Diego. We started out of season five and two and had a lot of high hopes and we had a few injuries and all of a sudden things were falling apart. We went on this losing streak and I know what it's like to go out and have a subpar performance, have to turn it around and do it again next week, knowing you're probably going to get beat by 20 again next mm. week. Um, it's, it's the nature of the position. You know, everybody wants to win. Only one team at the end of the year goes home happy. Only one team can win it all. And everybody else is a loser by the end of the year. And to be in this situation, it's so frustrating, especially Cam, who's had success in the past and knows what it's like to lead a team to the playoffs, get to a Super Bowl and all that. Um, yeah, I think he's played his heart out this year, and I've said it a thousand times. He gets everything he can. I just think physically he can't throw the ball the way he used to throw it, and it's it's so hard for him. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of tools around him right now. Um, it's just it's just a very frustrating situation. And as far as the arm and throwing, nothing epitomized that more. There was a play where Cam steps up through the pocket, had a receiver mm -hmm. like 10, 15 yards in front of him, tries to throw it on the run, the ball dives into the ground. Yes. I mean, that's, that's an easy throw, and Cam can make it in his sleep five years ago there like i said i think there's something functionally wrong with the shoulder which makes it even more frustrating for a guy like cam but you have 12 hour days it's a grind and when you lose it gets heavier and heavier as the weeks go by and 
you know, there's not a lot you can do about it because the team, and I, I said it this week in a Buffalo article, you know, before that game, I said, you know, New England's just not a good football team this year. They're playing yeah. hard. They're doing what they can. They're just not a talented. Uh, they're going to have some cap space. They're going to try to make some moves, but they're just not there. You know, we've talked about this throughout the season, but I guess now as we come towards the end of the season, I'm going to ask it again. How much harder is it this year when you factor in what we're going through as a country? And what I mean is not only is Cam playing poorly, not only is the team losing, but when he says, I'm not seeing my kids for three months, and you know he has no other outlet to go to, can you see it being even harder than the situation you dealt with in San Diego? No doubt. I At first I thought with – uh, in those type of scenarios, you spend more time just game planning and being all involved. But when things aren't going well, you know, my wife was at home to, to lean on. Uh, you know, yeah. the family life, can get, at least you get a little ex- escape for a little while every evening for a couple hours. And, you know, I'm sure Cam's in his own head 24-7. You know, when things aren't going well, what can I do different? It just grinds on you. You need, you need that emotional uh, – I don't know, just separation from it for a few hours to clear your head and start fresh. And there's just no no way to do that when your kids aren't around you. You're missing. And I, I've said that from day one also, that family guy, and I see it with Tom, or saw it with Tom, that when you have kids, wife, kid, now there's this feeling of getting back, and, and it's a part of your life. There's more than just football in your life. And uh, it makes it a lot more difficult to be that locked-in guy. And then this year for Cam, you need that family life to escape the, the frustrating season. You know, Tom Brady, I think his life is generally pretty good. I think Patrick Mahomes is having a lot of fun right now. He's the defending Super Bowl champion. He's the number one seed. Outside of that, I could see most quarterbacks in the league not having a ton of fun because they're all chasing something and they don't have something to fall back on. Do we as fans – overestimate the life of a professional athlete during during the career no doubt you i mean the the full time commitment i i say it all the time there's off off season workout programs and all that it's like a regular job you just Mm -hmm. go you work out you get your throwing in with the guys you had a meeting with the offensive coordinator it's like a normal job. You go in the office, you leave it at the office, you get together with the guys in the afternoon, maybe play some golf or get home, whatever. It's a normal life. Yeah. During the regular season, once training camp starts, it's football 24-7. It's 12-hour workdays. It's coming home and studying the game plan, getting sent to you to be ready for the next morning. Yeah. The pressure, the, the really good athletes, I don't say they, they don't feel the pressure, but they have a way of getting past it. And, and I almost envied the guys that, let me say, I almost envied the guys that didn't care as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. you care so much that the weight of the world's on your shoulder nonstop. And all quarterbacks have that. Now a guy that's a wide receiver or defensive back, they're worried about their position and, and their game plan and they're doing their thing. And it's, it's a lot easier for that guy to, to just show up and go put his hours in at work and get home and forget about it for a while. And it's not, it's not that way with the quarterback position. The quarterback position is, is different from any other position in that aspect. There's a lot of fans, I think, who listen to Cam's comments and say, you know what? Tough, man. You made a bunch of money. You're on commercials. You're in video games. No, you're like, suck it up, man. I don't see my kids too. Like there's somebody out there. Oh, saying yes. that. 
So I guess what I would ask is, um, let me see. My the question I want to put is: Is there any amount of money that covers up all the things that Cam is talking about? Hmm. Yeah, there is. There is, but it's it, it's not great. It it doesn't matter during your career. Where it matters hmm. is the day you retire. That money's in the bank, and you can now relax and do something just for the fun of doing it. The, re the that rest of your life aspect, and that's what's in your mind is that. That's why they fight for their contract. That's why they fight for the big. Now, the numbers today are, I can't even relate to. These guys make yeah. more in one season than I made in a 21-year career, and mm -hmm. I got paid good money through my time period. Yeah. Um, but you realize that's the reason you're putting up with a lot of the other aspects of it. There's Game day is a blast. Don't get me wrong. I still loved running out of the tunnel, 80,000 people screaming, Going out on the field and competing my ass. You don't have to pay me to do that. You have to pay me to show up and put the time in 12 to 14 hour days or the pre for us, it was eight weeks of training camp, six weeks of double, six preseason game. All that's the stuff you had to pay me for. The actual going out and pl I'll play a game every day. Well, physically you couldn't, but anytime that was fun. Games were fun to me. It was the work during the week that was a grind. And yes, there's a dollar figure on that, that. And that's why these guys fight for that big contract, because it can be all over tomorrow. It can end in a hurry. You average career when I was playing was about two and a half years. Um, you know, I don't know what the average career for an NFL guy is now, but the guys that have the opportunity to make the money, that's why there's holdouts for big money, because this window of opportunity is very short. It's not a 30, 40 year career. It's very rare that a guy plays as long as Tom Brady has played. Or Drew Brees, but you know this could be over tomorrow. You know, Tom had a bad ACL injury, a bad knee injury yeah. that that could have ended his career, and it, it didn't. He bounced back and he was bigger and stronger than ever. But um, that's why they they hold out and they go for that big money and all that. But when it comes to playing the game, it's time to play a game. I have a theory, and I want to run it by you. So let me fully vet it here. It looks like Cam is going to start on Sunday against the Jets. Belichick kind of made it sound like. Cam's going to be the guy. I truly think deep down, Cam doesn't want to start. <laughs> and the reason why is I think he just is ready for the offseason. I think he is so broken at this point that I think he truly doesn't want to start. But I think he knows he has to start because he's also so in his own head that he doesn't want to see Stidham come in, play well. And now he's wondering, okay, do I even have a shot in New England next year? Do you think yeah. that makes sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, I My theory was never let the other guy get on the field because he, you can lose a job in a heartbeat. Yeah. And so I wanted to play every week, every down. Um, there's probably a part of Cam saying, go ahead. Go ahead, kid, take over. Let's see what you can do. You know, we'll get beat 40 to nothing with you a quarterback <laughs> in the back of his mind. That That's the way you feel as a, a competitor. Um, but – it, it's a frustrating thing. It gets harder and harder to prepare and harder and harder to try to go in and and get the enthusiasm cranked back up. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a part. It's it's like this sense of relief um, when the other guy goes in. And the other aspect of that is if Stidham were to go in and play poorly and maybe even get banged up or something, Cam had to come in the game. I bet you Cam would play 100 times better coming off the bench because he now would have had that clean slate, relax, 
and go back out and just view it from the sideline for a minute and then run back in and go play. And then he just play for the hell of it. But um, there's also, you know, I, I think I, I think there's a part of him that's thinking that way, but I think he really deep down wants to stay on the field, finish this season and win a last game and find a way to, you know, the jets are playing a little better, but yeah. beat the jets Win your last started. Maybe it's his last start as a Patriot last game as a Patriot go out and win and, and try to show people what he's capable of doing still. You know, I think that obviously times were different from when you played. If you were advising Cam, what would be your advice for him going into the offseason? Should he get right back into it day one? Does he need a month off? I mean, what does oh, Cam yeah. need away. to recharge? Get away from it. Uh, take your vacation. Get to Hawaii. Uh, we're not allowed to travel. Yeah. Uh, get on a rowboat and paddle out in the middle of a pond and <laughs> go to sleep for a while. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, get away from it as much as you can. Uh, don't don't go to any playoff games or fi- don't even follow it. Don't even yeah. follow it. You know, Clear the mind, get away. It's, a lot of guys uh, at the end of a season will announce their retirement. I'm not saying Cam's talking about retirement. I'm just talking uh, the emotions of having frustrating seasons. Um, and then they rethink it three or four months later, and they're ready to come back. You know, Gronk physically yeah. needed a year off, needed some time away, and, and all of a sudden you get excited about the chance of maybe getting back in it. So that's kind of the mentality. Get away from it. I think he needs to find a way to stretch that shoulder out, do whatever, find out what's going on. I, you know, again, I'm speculating on that. And I, I'm sorry if I'm just speculating, but I think there's something mechanically not the way it used to be for Cam. Um, and see if you can find a solution to that because he needs to start throwing the ball freely. I feel like it's just a, a just a grind for him to throw the football right now. Yeah. Um, Aaron found research. The uh, NFLPA says the average career length is now 3.3 years. So Woo-hoo! slightly, so slightly longer. Um, I want to transition. Like I said, I got a bunch of things I want to get to. Uh, this one isn't directly Patriots related, but I guess it could be. So we saw what happened in Washington this week where Dwayne Haskins, the former first round pick got released and he's now a free agent. And as everybody is, he's a potential future Patriot. Cause we're all thinking about who could be Patriots. Um, let me ask you this. Dwayne Haskins was a first-round pick, number 15 overall, went to Ohio State, had everything kind of handed to him at the NFL level, had a great opportunity at the NFL level. As someone like you who was drafted late, who had to scratch and claw for everything, how frustrating is it when you see a guy throw it all away? Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. Um, I just, you know, I, I kill for those opportunities to be the guy be a high draft choice so that you got a legitimate look right away. And all you, all you have to do is, you know, some of the kids, you have to learn to be a professional in the beginning. That is the big, and it's so, it's weird to say, you have to learn how to prepare for a game and, and having a, a veteran guy around you is very important. I had Steve Grogan for me. Um, But how do you watch film? Do you just put the film on and watch it and watch plays? No, you're looking at coverages. You're looking at defenders. You're looking at depths of drops. You're looking at all kinds of things. Um, and, and that is a big aspect of this game. There's a, there's a zillion guys out there that can throw and run. They have mm-hmm. a cannon of an arm or great athletes can run all over the field. What separates people, especially in the NFL, is the mental aspect of the game and learning how to prepare. And 
you know, that's where I, it is very frustrating for me because I, I, I felt like I needed every aspect of it going and everything in play. I, I needed to prepare harder than the other guy and know it inside and out even better because when we stand there on a practice field and we drop back side by side, the six foot four guy with a stronger arm is going to look prettier throwing the out. It's just yeah. going to be that way. And yeah, I get a little frustrated with that stuff. You know, it's, these guys are so talented. There, there's so many, so many guys, you know, you can go back to Jamarcus Russell with just pure athleticism and arm strength and all these things. And it's, if you could just get your off the field stuff in line and your work ethic in line, the world, it, I mean, it's sitting there waiting for you. And yet there's guys like, a, I don't know, I, I want to say a Colt McCoy that comes back fighting and scratching the, and, and plays well with a second opportunity or a guy that like myself undersized fighting to come off the bench. And, and you got to, the thing about me was every time I stepped on the field, I had to be at my best yeah. or I was gone. And, you know, the guys like a Ryan Leaf get three or four years to prove they, they can't play. There's that, also there's also a maturity needed to be an NFL quarterback. I mean, really, you are, with the money being what it is now, you are the CEO of a franchise. Did you have that maturity level when you came out, or is it something that it took you a while to get to? I had the maturity level. I was... My problem was I was old, going through college, you know, I, I never drank, never smoked. I was always serious, football 100, and, and that's what I did when I went pro as well. So I had the, the work ethic. I don't know if I had the leadership skills that these kids have. Like they, they are taught younger now about team building and bringing guys together, watching film together, what to do, hmm. you know, how you build those relationships. I learned that as I went in my career. My work ethic was always there. And I was always a lead by example type guy. Like I, I figured, you know, if I get there early, other guys are going to start getting there early. If I stay late and watch film more, you know, I can bring other guys in. But, you know, then towards the end of my career, I see a young Drew Brees when Drew took over in San Diego as the starter. He had the O-line over his house an early night mm -hmm. or middle of the week night for dinner, but also a film watch session. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that, that, you know, stuff that I didn't think of at a young age. And here's a 23 year old kid doing, you know, so that's that type of thing goes a long way. And a lot of these young kids understand those aspects of it already. I mean, when you saw uh, Joe Burrows come in, yeah. the rookie, his maturity levels through the roof. You know, it's funny you say, you know, you never drank, you never smoked, because it reminds me something I heard today from Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports Radio. Aaron, let me hear Colin Cowherd. I think it's number four. He was talking about Haskins, and he said he's too immature for him to be, you know, if Cowherd was a GM, Haskins is too immature. Cowherd said, I think you need to be a very specific type of guy to work in the NFL as a quarterback. Let me hear what, what Colin said, Aaron. But when you draft a quarterback, he's going to have to be almost square like Andrew Luck and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. Uniquely mature. He said you need to be uniquely mature. He said you need to be almost kind of square, like Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. And it sounds like, you know, that's, not who, able, yeah. that's who you were. Do yeah, you think that that's what you need to be? I think so. And I, you know, <laughs> uh, unbelievable. I had a 
John Unitas, uh, I had a chance to talk to him a couple of times and he talked about, you can't just be one of the guys. You can't be one of the guys. You've got to be above. You've got to be at another level. And um, the only exception, to, I, I, there were there were quarterbacks. I mean, a, a Joe Namath was a partier. A, a Jim McMahon loved to hang out. But he, Jim was a different breed because he could tell the head coach to take a hike and tell the guys mm -hmm. off, and then he'd still go out and ball. He's the only – I probably said that before. He's the only guy that ever could have played for Mike Dick and played well. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to almost be – you have to hold yourself to a higher standard than those around you. Even on, you know, the, the possibility of being looked at as aloof or like, oh, what, you think you're too good to hang – it's not that. You can hang out with them, but you're going to still hold yourself at a higher level. You know, I thought it was interesting you mentioned McMahon and even even Cam early in his career. I think, you know, you can have a personality, but you have to kind of establish yourself before you let that personality come out. Like, I think Baker Mayfield's gotten into trouble because he was that kind of combative, cocky guy too early. Like, you got to win a little bit before you be like that. Cam found out that you got to be, you got to win a little bit before you start doing the Superman and all that stuff. You can do it, but you got to kind of be somebody first. See, I that's I I agree a hundred percent. It's like Baker overly confident, say things, do things, and you haven't done anything yet. You know, you, you it's t you're you're just starting your career here. I was always taught keep your mouth shut, play your ass off, and let the other guy compliment you. Let the other mm -hmm. guy be the one telling how great this guy is, and you keep your mouth shut. And that's it's it's different now. I mean, they all have this bravado and confidence and I, some of them it may be fake some of them may, may be real but i i didn't i didn't want to give anybody any ammunition to attack me they had enough ammunition right i was a 510 quarterback that my numbers weren't as good as everybody else and i found a way to win somehow right and so i'm fighting my butt off just to keep people from criticizing so you don't want to give them ammunition that was always my point of view and uh, it doesn't mean you're not confident. You just, I was always taught you pat, pat the other guy on the back, tell him how great they are, and then go beat him on the field. You, um, obviously, I'm sure at some point in your career were around some knuckleheads around the league. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you, how do you view those knuckleheads? Do you want to bring those guys in to help or are they toxic to you? And I guess I ask because Haskins is a free agent. Is he a guy that Patriots players should be looking at and saying, hey, there's a first-round talent that's 23 years old that might be able to solve our quarterback problems? Or they're like, nah, that's not the guy we need. I don't want that. Well, if anyone loves those challenges, it's Bill Belichick, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he he's pulled in some other people's problems before and tried to fix them and, and had success in some instances. Um, you know, that might be – the most talented guy available to, to the Patriots, the most yeah. gifted. Um, and you have a long-term offensive coordinator that can handle guys and bring people along or, or you know, teach the quarterback position. Uh, you know, he's had Tom his whole career, but uh, you've got it. You've got things in place to, to nurture, nurture a young quarterback. So that might be, you know, build, Bill won't back down from a challenge. If, if he thinks that's a legit opportunity, I'm, I bet you he interviews him anyway. Mm -hmm. And he has to figure out, find out what the issue was. What was the issue? Why didn't it work out? And 
uh, maybe attack it from that perspective. And the thing that's interesting too is that Bill Belichick really, really leans on his friends. Like if he trusts his friends, he he does a lot of drafting of Nick Saban players and he does a lot of drafting of Urban Meyer players. Yeah. And Urban Meyer was Dwayne Haskins' college coach. So if anybody's going to be able to give an honest assessment of Dwayne Haskins that Belichick will listen to, it is going to be Urban Meyer. You know, and, and Ur- maybe Urban becomes a part of the equation. Maybe wherever it is that Dwayne ends up, I'd say, say Bill and Urban have this conversation. Maybe Urban goes to Dwayne and, you know, what's different now? What's different from what it was senior year, you know, your last yeah. year at Ohio State? Why aren't you, why isn't it happening for you right now? And he could, I think he could be a big factor in fixing it because I felt that way when I was struggling early in my career. I felt that way about Tom Coughlin. Yeah. I felt like Tom Coughlin could fix anything for me. And I talked anytime I talked to Jack McNell, who was my head coach, or I talked to a Tom Coughlin or Barry Gallup, who was at Boston College at the time, I came away with so much more confidence after that mm-hmm. conversation. And because they know the things that you do well, they know they saw somebody that had a raw talent, came to their school and, and transitioned it to whatever we became, or in Dwayne Haskins' situation, you know, national championship type of year so those are the guys that could, I, I think fix it faster than anyone you mentioned josh mcdaniels and i want to go there um mcdaniels said yesterday as we taped this on wednesday he said on tuesday he wants to be a head coach again he came out flat out and said that he said i want the opportunity again i hope it presents itself um i will not ask you to disparage a guy you played for so i'm just going to kind of talk for a second I have always said I don't like McDaniels, and I thought maybe it was play calling. I thought maybe it was personnel, and then I thought maybe it was that he turned down the Colts job, and I didn't like that he bailed on them, and maybe all that's part of it. But what I think it really comes down to for me, and this is where I'm going to ask you a question on it, is is I don't see McDaniels have that it factor. When I look at Sean McVay, he has an it factor. When I hear Joe Judge talk with the Giants, like that guy could sell ice to a penguin. Like he just – he can talk the game – Cliff Kingsbury looks the part. Sean McVay looks the part and talks the game. And maybe it's because Belichick doesn't let McDaniels speak. I never hear him talk. I just don't see Josh McDaniels as a guy who can control the room. Obviously, he knows football. Obviously, he can connect and scheme up a good offense. But can't he lead 53 other guys? That's what I'm not buying. Yeah, that's a that's a valid question. It really is. I felt like he had total command of an offensive room you know when when he'd present the game plan when he talked to guy he had total command of that room um i've seen him i mean he and tom were on the same page all the time and talked on an even keel very rarely did i see josh have to take pull rank and and take over a situation say no we're going to do it this way so i never saw that Uh, i was only there for a season but i saw josh handle a room no problem take over the offense offensive meetings without an issue and 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 be in charge again at the nfl level and i think josh would fall into this category the nice guys don't seem to win Hmm. you know there's you've always got a the, the head coach that has an edge to him that the players fear that for you know i i don't think bill's not their ranting raving yelling screaming type when he when he wants to get on someone, it's usually sarcasm and very direct without yelling. Um, but he, there's no misunderstanding on who in the room is in charge. It's Bill. 
when, you know, it was a Mike Dick. I, I go back to Mike Riley being our head coach out in San Diego when I first yeah. got there. And he was such a great guy and I loved playing for him. But it didn't work out for him that way because the, you lose the guys that are self-motivated. They're no problem. It's the guys that you have to the underachiever types that you got to kick in the pants, light a fire a little. Those guys have an issue with them and they start losing those players. So there has to be a, some some aspect that the other good guy head coach that I love playing for, and we actually won, was Wade Phillips up in mm -hmm. Buffalo. But Wade, Wade basically became an offensive or defensive coordinator through the league, not a head coach. And a lot of times you, you have to be a guy that is able to light a fire under the guy that is kind of lazy. When I think about a head coach, and I played Division three college baseball, so not at a high level, but I still played college sports. When I thought of my head coach, what I wanted in a head coach, I wanted somebody who would inspire and motivate, somebody that I would look to and be inspired by. And I just haven't felt that from McDaniels, but I feel that from Pete Carroll, and I feel that from Sean McVay and from Joe Judge. And, you know, I, I just I get that impression that this is a guy who can rally everybody. I don't doubt that McDaniels knows football. Of course he knows football. But it's about being a head coach is about so much more than just knowing X's and O's. It really is. Motivating players is a big aspect of it. And I, I would say with Josh, it is a question mark. He hasn't had to do that. He hasn't been the guy. He had, what, half a season? Did he even do that? He was He was a Denver. year and a half in Denver, a Denver. year and a half. Um, you know, so – he'll have a chance to look back on that experience and say, what, what can I do differently? What should I have done differently mm -hmm. and, and learn from it, which, you know, when Bill was in Cleveland, when Belichick was in Cleveland, things didn't go so hot and you right. learn from those experiences. And, and the next time around you take advantage of it. Um, I wouldn't rule McDaniels out though. I think Josh, you know, I, I think he could do it. I, I don't, I'm not going to second guess him because I, I've seen him do some great. You know, I go back to this last week, and you know, we talk about him as often. He he knows they have trouble sticking in the end zone. First trip down the field, he yeah. called the trick play. They should have been in the end zone. No, and mm -hmm. drop ball. Right. They that the beginning of that game, the first two possessions, it could have been a different game. And they went no huddle like we love. You know, it could have been a different game. So I. I I think he's got a feel for that stuff, and I think he's got a feel for the game planning. He's got a feel for the play calling, and the question mark is, you know, your control and leadership qualities over an entire group that isn't X and O oriented. You know, X, it, there's so many other aspects and so many other hats of a head coach. The other thing that's interesting is I once interviewed Tony Dungy, and I'll never forget that he told me one of the things that he thought was a mistake that coaches made was coaches make their name as a coordinator and then when they become a head coach they want to stay the coordinator also they also want to call the plays and mm -hmm. now they're so focused in the offense that they're losing sight of all the other stuff okay when am i calling timeout what's the clock situation who's injured who's in and who's out here mcdaniels has made his money being a great play caller if he becomes a head coach and wants to stay a play caller that's a really hard dynamic that's very very difficult he can he can stay connected with the game planning and, and play calling is not a complicated there's, – there's a feel for when to call that trick play and when to slip this one in or that one in. But he can be involved in the game plan during the week. And on game planning, you basically create this sheet that somebody just looks at, oh, third and four, left hash, middle of the field, uh, we're running this play. Hmm. 
So, you know, I saw Tommy Reese at Notre Dame take over play calling just a few years out of college. He became a quarterback coach at Notre Dame. Chip Long leaves Notre Dame to get a head job. And Tommy took over in the, the bowl game, first game calling plays, and they rack up a scoreboard against LSU. You know, it just – Tommy, you've, you're used to setting that chart. Putting that chart together is game is play calling. And then in game feel is the variable of, you know, there's a few in-game feel calls you're going to make here and there. And, uh, you know, so you can separate yourself from the actual play calling and be the head guy, but the head guy is still going to dictate to the offensive quarter, hey, it's time to start running the football or it's time to take a few shots. or And that's where they get their input in a game offensively. The other thing that's really interesting, and, and my biggest questions about McDaniels are the leadership stuff, but there's also the question of, do we know that he's very good without Tom Brady? Mm-hmm. And and I ask that because his two teams with the with the with the uh, Broncos, 20th and 19th in scoring. He goes to the Rams, 32nd in scoring dead last. This year with Cam, 28th. So all of his non-Brady teams, his teams score on the back half of the league and near the bottom of the league. Do we know that he's any good without Brady? <laughs> Well, I think we we found out pretty quickly. I I don't know how fair it is, but because of the the entire roster. But, you know, the the entire New England Patriots without Tom Brady and Tom going to Tampa and seeing what happened. Tom is that good. He really is. He's got great weapons in Tampa, and it took a while for that to come together, and it's kind of coming together for him. I agree. I, um, I, I always come back to this about offense and my own career and the quarterback position in general, football is the one sport where you need everyone on the same page, all 11 guys. If you are weak at left tackle, it's going to cost you. If you are weak at the center position, it's going to cost you. If you don't have a big time receiver, it's going to cost. If you don't have a quarterback that can get the ball out on rhythm on time, it's you need 11 guys on the field, all doing their job and doing it right. It's the entire package. You can have a Bob Greasy went undefeated. Bob Greasy mm-hmm. was not a dynamic passer of the football, mm-hmm. but it was a great team and he did his part. And that's football is the one sport where you need every. I, I say it all the time baseball, you can be on a losing team, but you still bat 350 and hit your 40 home runs. Yep. Or you could be a pitcher that has that low ERA and on a losing team. You can be a basketball player and score your 35 points a night and lose every game. You know, you can still get yours. You can't get yours in football by yourself. It takes everybody. You know, I got two things that I want to kind of do here to wrap up the podcast. Um, The Patriots have made their living for the last decade on players who have been foundational pieces for a long time. Tom Brady, Gronk, Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, Patrick Chung, guys that have been there for a long time. This roster looks so devoid of talent in some spots. Are there any foundational pieces you think that are here? In, like, Are there any locks on this roster for the next couple of years? Uh, maybe it's center with Andrews. I mean, uh, Jake Bailey, the punters, looked great. I'd say he's safe for a while. I, I, I was thinking about that today. Um, you know, I'm looking over your notes and I'm thinking, who are the veteran guys that I, my, my first impression is you've got to bring in young talent 
yes. and start over. You have to bring in young talent and start over. But even with young talent, it's nice to have a veteran at almost every position. You got to have, you know, that one guy that's showing the young kid how to work, how to study, how to get how to get it done on a daily basis. And the guy with the raw talent takes over. So, no, as of right now, and I don't know what position would, would be safe for next year. You know, that, it's a very interesting question. How young do you go? What veteran guys stick around to help out? You know, you, I, I believe you need – you need a couple on offense and a couple on defense because otherwise, you know, the, the communication on the field is terrible. Things start falling apart. You need someone to be the glue to hold it together, even if he's not the most talented of the people on the field. And I don't know who they are right now for the Patriots. As far as the, the, the guys who are part of the next great Patriots team, I think Jake Bailey, the punter, is safe. Now, maybe that's a cheap answer because punters can play forever. But Jake Bailey, and I would say Kyle Duggar, the, the safety they drafted in the second round this year, I'd say he's going to have a chance to grow and be here for a while. Beyond that, maybe Damian Harris, but I'm not even so sure about that because of running back shelf life. Um, let's end it here. I want to ask you this. It's very easy to say the Patriots need to get um, the Patriots need to get weapons. We all know that. They need to draft weapons. They've got $50 million in cap space. They need to sign weapons. Are the Patriots an attractive destination for free agents. We don't know what the quarterback situation is. You've got an, an old stodgy head coach, although he's great. <laughs> yeah. Are the Patriots an attractive destination for free agents? Huh. That is a great question because what you need to do is sign that quarterback first. Yeah. If, you know, once you get the quarterback, then you become the destination of the wide receivers and the running back and the, the guys that want to be a part of something. Um, if they re-sign Cam, I would say they're not a destination. They're not. A, I, agree, I agree 100%. I, I, absolutely. So um, that in, in that question, the answer is no right now. Hmm. But depending on who they get at the quarterback position and what they're – their offensive stance going to be going into the season, you know, into draft and everything else. Um, I draft is always draft is a wild card to me. And, and Bill hasn't had a great track record with wide receivers, right? Right. With that skill position thing. I, I go after free agents. I go after established guys. You've got some cap space. Um, I don't know how the quarterback position will work out right now. Maybe, the Haskins thing is is a that would be a real reach and a wild card, but you're there was a reason he was drafted in the first round, you know, talent wise. If you if you talk about the relationship of Bill Belichick, Urban Meyer, that 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 answer would that would be a resolved issue in Bill's head one way or the other very quickly, I think. Yeah. I think that the Patriots are in trouble from that standpoint, especially a wide receiver, because the way the free agent period works is, is that the top wide receivers, they're signing in like the first minute. And the mm -hmm. Patriots are going to have to know who their quarterback is prior to that first minute, which is very, very difficult. So happen. I don't think the timing yeah. works out. I don't think Cam is bringing in top wide receivers. Even if you brought in a Fitzpatrick, somebody who we think is better, I don't know that any wide receiver is signing up for a four-year deal for a Fitzpatrick who might be there for a year, and then we don't know who the drafted quarterback is yeah. going to be. I, I think yeah. the Patriots are going to be – Hard press unless they massively overpay, which is not really in their nature. 
like I think they're in hard press to at least get good wide receivers in here. And I'm not I'm not giving up on Harry at wide receiver either. Me either. I, I, I just think he hasn't had a quarterback getting on the ball this year. Um and and he will develop. Um it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, you know, I did you see Fitzpatrick come off the bench last week? Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved every minute of it. It's like, kid, move over. This is how it's done. You know, it, it's this this zone read, run the football. Tua runs for it's what we see with Cam. You know, run for a first down, move the chains a little bit, make a play here, make a play there. Oh shoot, we need to win the game now. Fitzy, get in here and throw the ball. That bang, play, bang. that play where he threw the ball like thirty yards on the field while getting his face mask ripped mm-hmm. off. That was one of the most incredible things. And I. I said this weeks ago, and you agreed. I was, Ryan Fitzpatrick and you, you are the same. They just I, We were playing in, in my first start in Buffalo. We were playing Jacksonville, who was undefeated at the time. We were a big underdog in the game, and we are down by – I think we were down by six or five. Touchdown wins it. And we had no timeouts. We had nickel and dime. And they went a three-deep cover – or the, that cloud – and I looked down the seam, and I made a blind throw without looking down the rail to Eric Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and he catches it, gets tackled at the one-foot line. We wind up winning the game. We stick it in. And as soon as Fitz – he kept his – first of all, you know, he, he gets his head wrenched. But he's looking down the middle of the field. It was really a two-deep coverage. He had a man running down the middle of the field. He's trying to move that safety off the hash. He put his eyes down the middle of the field, locked into it, and was making a blind throw out to the left. He was just going to hmm. keep an eye on that safety moving and not even look at the receiver he's going to throw to. And he guesses – and as he throws, not only that, he gets his head ripped off and turned <laughs> sideways, and he still completes the ball. It was amazing. I loved it. It gave me that quick memory of that. And that's, uh, you know, there's when you come off the bench, there's no negative vibe. There's no negative feelings. It's like, watch this. I, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to let it fly. And you saw the difference in the timing. The ball's out in rhythm. Back foot hit, bang. Yeah. Back foot hit, bang. And that's what the young kids have not developed. Even Mahomes. They don't. They don't quite have that. They don't have that aspect of their game yet. Aaron wants to know. Our producer's got a quick question. I think it's a good one, actually. A lot of people are pointing to the players that opted out for the Patriots and saying, "Oh, when they come back, everything will be good." I, I, it will help next year, but it's still not a long-term answer. Like you're not relying on 34-year-old Patrick Chung and 31-year-old Dante Hightower. But Aaron wants to know if you were a guy who went through this season, who played this season. And the opt-out guys come back. Is there any tension there? Are, are you are you mad at a guy for bailing on the team? Are you looking down upon him? Are you, do you understand it because of how unique this year was? What's your feeling? I'm mad. I, I'm frustrated with that. I really am. Um, I I think it will get resolved. I mean, after a week or two of training camp together, and the first week of the season, that's all history and behind you. It, it'll get behind you quickly. Mm-hmm. But right now. With the season I, we had to endure because guys decided to stay home and in a career that is three years, 3.2 years, you're taking a year off. Um, I, I just – I I can't relate to that. I can't relate to not wanting to be out on the field and and being a part of that. Uh, that I, I know it's COVID. I know everyone has to be respectful of other people's decisions, and it, sometimes family – takes priority or family always takes priority. But in this case, they made a decision to be with family rather than, than play. And it's, it's a short window of time. It is a short window of time and it's your job. 
The only thing I would I would defend these guys on, and I think where they have a different experience than you, is that it was easy for some of these guys to opt out. Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower, they already had multiple championships, That's- and, and they had had the big money deals. So they had the money, and they had the titles. So they didn't necessarily need it. Doug Flutie, who never got the big money and never had the title, at least in the NFL – I see why you feel differently about it. I always felt like I had something to prove. So I, I want to be there. I want to, like I said, if I'm not on the field, the other guy gets on the field, I'm going to lose my job. I want to yeah. be on the field. Um, but how about this? If Tom Brady were still in New England, you think he would have opted out? No. And I think that's a great question. Too. You know, he would wouldn't he, have opted out. He, would he, he, he always feels like he's got something to prove. Would the other guys have opted out if Tom was yeah. still there? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair question too. Yeah, they they might have had the feeling we still got a shot at making a run again this year, and uh, and stick around. But see, that's selfish too. That, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just I like I said, I, somebody calls me right now, and there's a pickup game down the road in a half hour. I'm there. So uh, well, maybe you could play quarterback for the Patriots yeah. next year because right now we don't know what the hell they're doing. Well, I can hold for field goal and extra point. <laughs> well, and if the Patriots can ever get in the red zone enough to score a touchdown, then you can hold for the extra point good there point. too. Um, that's a good spot to end for today. Patriots are six and nine. Their season is just about over. They're taking on the New York Jets on Sunday. Uh, I'm Brady. Aaron's our producer. Doug Flutie, our guy at Doug Flutie, Twitter and Instagram, CFL Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, and former Patriots quarterback. Doug, I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Hope you have a great new year. We'll discuss Patriots Jets. And I want your thoughts on what's going to happen next year, a 17-game regular season in the NFL being implemented next year. So another game, I bet you would be a fan of that. I, You know what, though? They're starting to milk it, man. It's like, how many games can we – there used to be 12. It used to be 14. It used to be 16. I played an 18-game schedule in Canada. I, I love playing. Let's play another yeah. one. Makes What's me up? feel like a, it's a playoff game. What are you going to do? So Happy we'll New talk, Year. We'll talk about that next week. Until then, go Pats. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.